Good evening, everyone. It's episode 205, When British Rail Ran Boats, brackets, ships, brackets, a brief history of Sealink et al. Yeah, we're, um, we're talking, this, this is a much requested episode, actually. Uh, we're talking about um, that time British Rail had a bunch of boats, uh, the class... Class 99s, I think they call I mean, amongst lots of things they call Class 99s. In any case, you know, because tops. In any case, uh, we are indeed going to be, click on the right thing. We are going, and also click that button. We're going to be um, talking about C-Link, uh, the, uh, or rather the, which is the kind of uh, brand name, at least for a while, of the British Rail Shipping and International Services Division. More on this momentarily, however. Um we're not going to talk. There's not going to be a super. Oh, I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll hold that caveat because I, I have an apology. To, I, have, I have an apology to make, everyone. Everyone, I have an apology to make. Um, we've been progressing episodes since episode two one without shouting out the associated tops British rail classes because I assumed that there were none up until we got to the two ten. How wrong I was. So this is episode two five, which means we have to shout out the two five. Uh, these the two hundreds the two OXs are reserved, or rather the two XX uh, numbers reserved for diesel electric uh, multiple units, of which here is a class two hundred five in southern colours, looking weird. Um, it's a thumper, and it is a class two hundred five. Tops classified these as two hundred fives. So, um, and and we've we've missed out on shouting at the two hundred one, two hundred two. In fact, here is a two hundred two. 203, 204, um, and, you know, a couple more to come as well. So so here they are. They, they look weird because this, I mean, what, that, this one looks like it's, although I don't think it is, it looks a bit like a converted, uh, it looks Mark 1-y, although it isn't. It looks Hastings with this one, really. The fact that it's got square sides down to the sole bar is um, very much looks uh, looks Hastings dimensions. Uh, anyway, You'll notice there's no third rail around here, although this is southern region. This is Enfield Town, this station, isn't it? Uh, although, actually, there's a load of happy-looking um, overheads here. Anyway, these are um, DMUs. These are multiple units. Um, uh, Detour, rightly pointing out, in honour of this topic, here's a reminder that sea rail, uh, sorry, sail rail still exists for fixed-price fares between Ireland and GB. Make use of them. Um, Martha's rightly saying thump thump uh, Simon C858 uh, looking forward to this one many of my childhood holidays started with a sea link sailing from Weymouth so a, a caveat this episode isn't going to go diving into the nuts and bolts of sea link itself a deep history um, it's going to look at the, wh why British Rail ended up running ships boats and then what happened afterwards, and a little bit of the in between. As as ever, it's a, we're not. It, it's not a. There are other people who have done the detailed history of Sealink, I'm sure. Um, and there, I, I point you all to it. One one of the good references that, that is, is worth looking up. There's lots of good histories of Sealink. Well, actually, I don't know if there are lots of good histories for Sealink, but we're going to talk about the, the overall story, the picture, the context, either side of it, if you like. As ever, two rail net style. We're saying we're talking about the history of the thing, but actually we spend more time talking about the history before and after the thing. But that's fine. Um, hopefully that'll still be engaging. Give that context. And um, uh, James Derrick is asking if next week um, is going to be covering motor rail. Um, anyway, Caroline uh, Blazinski is uh, cut off. Uh, French. Oh wait, wait. Da, 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 da. Uh, connect Ross Lair to the French mainland. Uh, build a one true Euro tunnel now that you can out the Euro. Well, absolutely. Um, what are 101? Uh, Callum is asking what, what, the, what 101 is. Uh, the, the, that's just the... I presume that's the 20... Well, it's actually, this is a 202. Actually, what's interesting is that this has a... Um, where's me? Wiggle. Just, just do this. Oh, is this plugged in? Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, that won't help. Will it? No. Right. Ding, ding, ding. You probably heard that. Uh, here we are. Look, there we go. That, that says class 202. There, it's the kind of the tops info box. There, uh, this I, I I've no I, I presume this will refer to the pre. The, could be the old tops. Also, could be referring to uh, the, the the southern region internal codes. Anyway, let's get rid of that. Without further ado, everyone, welcome to tonight's rail natter.
as the Intercity 225 fades away. We start by asking the question, what is the deal with fairies? What's the deal with... The thing is, I, if uh, Martha's saying do Seinfeld voice, the, thing, the trouble is I end up dropping into, Quo, into Justin Rosniak's Cuomo. What's the deal with marine transport? Right, what is the deal with, with um, fairies? So, we must jump back to 1150. These little fools. Uh, yes, because... Oh, let's get my miniaturized... Firstly, hello everyone, it's me. Hi. Hi, 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 hi. Um, the trains of the sea. Yeah, well, yeah, you could say that, couldn't you? Uh, let's miniaturize my face. So what are these little dudes um, doing? They appear to have taken a mule. And the, actually, this is a picture from, like, the, the medieval times. So, I, But I was trying... I could not find a nice picture of, um, of the ferry. Well, this is a later version of said ferry, but what am I on about? Well, basically, um, Birkenhead. Because we have to drop ourselves to Birkenhead because... Um, Benedictine monks in a priory in Birkenhead uh, start charging for the operation of a rowboat across the Mersey. So kind of the first Mersey ferry um, appears. Uh, hello, hello, Gareth. Hello, yes. This, this, this is an episode for you specifically, Gareth. Um, Benedictine monks start this start char- they they charge a pretty penny for this uh, for this crossing, and so we see probably in eleven fifty the first ferry. The ships that that. that moved people around had existed before this seemingly is the first example of a commercial ferry service and it's also i suppose what's uh what's key about this one is it is the oldest confirmed that is still operating if i wallop my mic arm uh that is still here's here's a, a later machine running the same service um you can start seeing this thing is, is a bit more sort of pleasant than just the rowboat um and today uh you have this admittedly pretty knackered um uh, what is it? I suppose it's not steamship, is it? The MV Snowdrop? I'm not sure. It's the snow. Gareth, you'll be able to say this. Um, it's uh, it's the Snowdrop, um, and it still runs. This is the, this is the longest commercially operating, uh, the longest lived commercially operating ferry service uh, in the world, in, I, I believe. That, that's its own uh, record, in any case. Um, so that's ferries. What that that is ferries. But but what the key thing is is more specifically to rail matter is what about railways and ferries? Where where do these start getting connected? Hmm. So, we start, well, we jump to, actually, it could be any wagonway or uh, of, of back in the, in, in the, even the 1600s, but certainly in the 1700s, um, in the UK, Tamfield Wagonway um, is one of the, um, kind of one of the first evidenced um, uh, connections between uh, railways and the uh, and kind of uh, regular scheduled integrated services so uh, people often think that the railways and the canals well people often say oh canals got knackered by the railways you know the rail the the, the canals came along they became outdated railways came along Bzzzt, wrongo no uh, canals enabled railways railways enabled canals really there were concurrent technologies achieving slightly different things yes railways have, uh, later on did replace a lot of canals but actually it, you know bearing in mind the railways had been in the uk since the late 1500s um railways canals totally interlinked and scheduled services on the coast continued to be the main way coal so integrated railway and coastal barge services much like was happening at tanfield um where the main way coal moved in britain until remarkably recently like until like still until like the 70s more coal that way than by i mean someone catch me if i'm wrong on this one but i believe more coal that way than actually went came down like the, the likes of the great central so enormous amounts of coal still moving by barge to london uh on the seas and it was you know, an integrated uh system an integrated service and that, that that's that is a ferry um so for the first uh for the first integrated passenger uh system we have to jump to the uh monkland and kirkentillich railway because in 1833 uh oh here is by the way that's uh that train here it is look there it's lovely lovely there's that train um they started operating a um, a scheduled service across uh, across the fourth, I believe it was, um, uh, and fairly soon after that, you know, so we're seeing this, you know, as, as the railway started proliferating, the need to 
Um, that was Causey Arch, by the way. Yeah, that, there's lovely Causey Arch, this fantastic and still extant railway structure here. Very nice. Um, so, yeah, so the... the, the, the uh, we jumped to the London Blackwall Railway. So, so you know, the, the, as the frenzy of railways exploded, the need to cross waterways with without bridges uh, also expanded. London Blackwall Railway um, indeed operated a, uh, you know, a... So, what, 1842? Anyway, there's a picture of their ferry service. Um, they commenced a, a ferry service from Blackwall to Gravesend in 1842, which is one of the earliest one of the earliest railway shipping services. So specific railway shipping service as opposed to the Monkland and Kirkentillich, uh, which was running a kind of a, an integrated but 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 sort of partnered uh, service. Um, so there we go. Then we jump to the... There's, notice there's a, there's, there's a bit of an emerging Scottish theme in this this early railway ferry action. The Edinburgh Leith and New Haven Railway. Interestingly, we have to talk about this guy. This is some fun. So this episode does all sorts of weird integrated weird connected history stuff history, you know history not being linear um this sort of strange interrelationships of stuff uh, we have to talk firstly about this boy uh, this is uh, sir thomas bouch now why is that name familiar we'll, we'll get to that um yeah because in lieu of the ability to afford or indeed the engineering of the day to span the firth of forth he had to come up with a solution and his solution was, uh, well, began operation on um, the 3rd of February, 1850. Uh, and here it is, this is an illustration, the floating railway between Burnt, I Burnt Island and Granton. This is this is included. So basically, this is an extension of the East Coast Main Line. East Coast Main Line came up into Edinburgh, went up to Leith, found its way down to Granton. From Granton, there was this elaborate system of, a, of the first ever roll-on, roll-off ferry. Uh, and it allowed with this elaborate contraption of nonsense and it operated for quite a long time by the way there's a there's a low res uh, pixel free picture of the say of this the actual picture of this thing in ex extent in in the 1880s 1883 or 4 i think that you can find online um and you can see this elaborate nonsense uh to enable uh, chiefly freight wagons here to actually go on to the boat you know you just chug the trains onto the boat it roll they, they roll onto the ferry and then they roll off the ferry at the other end so there you go i know right um now <laughs> you might be familiar with uh Sir thomas bouch for something else that he did which is this uh and so there's this strange connection because that was essentially um Sir thomas bouch building it uh, creating this ferry service this roll on roll off ferry service to avoid the need to build a bridge because the technology wasn't uh, wasn't allowed he then proceeded to build a, a bridge over an equivalent uh waterway that has very high winds and uh, required a, a kind of a high clear distance f for admiralty reasons that obviously then uh, fell into the sea um and effectively therefore uh delayed building of the bridge that was to span the firth of forth um uh which then eventually, of course, his design was thrown in, uh, thrown out. He was uh, ruined. Uh, this is the Tay Bridge, by the way. Um, he was ruined. And and then, of course, it, it took until the 1890s before we uh, saw the vastly over-engineered and delightfully so um, Fourth Bridge, the bridge, as it is, as it is known. Um, you know, the most spectacular structure in the world to my view, but certainly one of the most spectacular, I think pro certainly the most spectacular structure in in Britain. So there you go. Wonderful. So there's this roundabout kind of strange history of crossing the fourth in in Bouch's relationship with that, coming back to ferries. So there we go. Uh, we'll come back briefly to this uh, in pictorial form later, but we have to, uh, interestingly enough, we have to um, jump forwards to 1998 to talk about, uh, you know, this the kind of the the largest you know so you go from that that sort of little nonsense to the largest roll on roll off uh, rail ferry which is uh, the the scan the scan uh, the scan uh, actually probably it's the scan I'd imagine um, uh, and it, it, interestingly operated by Stenerline foreshadowing uh, and this thing you can see uh, largest it's the world's largest roll on roll off ferry. Um, built quite a while ago now because we don't really make them like this, um, and uh, yeah, you can see it's, it's putting a, a, a road vehicle on and off this thing at this point. But um, yeah, this is a uh, 
Uh, you can see this this incredible tandem bit of S&C here to enable trains to get on and off uh, the boat. It's very cool. Roll on, roll off. Uh, so we must return. So that was 1998. We, let's jump back from 1998 uh, to, uh, to, to, to to this whole thing about British Rail running ferries. What, what was with that? What's going on? Um, so we must, of course, talk about January 1948 because... What happened then? Well, we all know what happened then. British Railways was formed. British Railways was nationalised. Uh, along, actually, wait a minute. I have a thing for this. Uh, let me grab this. Of course, I have a thing for this that I have, uh, have not pre-prepared and should have pre-prepared. Um, uh, 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 there we go. There we are. That was late. <laughs> yes, yeah, so lovely. Uh, British Railways formed, and. Uh, <laughs> just this chaos going on already. I'm already. I'm so tired and distractible. It's quite something. Anyway, uh, what is it? Probably sounds something like scone. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's sauna with a K. Scone. Uh, ow. It is an ow. Uh, ow. Oh, scone. Oh, oh, of course it is. Oh, as in like. Uh, so it's scone. Yeah, scone. Yeah, everyone agrees. Fine. Uh, Track less that to avoid uh, switches on the ferry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, bad logo for the good service. There we go. Fine. So fine, right? It's currently tied up. It's currently tied up in Rostock. Oh, there we go. So British Railways. Yeah, what happened? Well, they, they the, the railways were nationalised almost entirely, uh, as we know, um, alongside all existing railway ferry operations. Now, the operation, the, the opportunity was not taken to nationalise all ferry operations. So there were lots of bits of ferry all over the place, particularly in Scotland, in fact. Uh, McBrain is a good example, and Caledonian something or other, also separate, for example, merged later under the Scottish Transport Group, but at, at this point, not uh, very much still a prime operation. Uh, very much an opportunity missed. But, oh, by the way, this is the point where I cut in. This is the point where I cut in and say, if you want a really good history of Sealink, um, pick up Jeremy Harthill's um, Masters by Research from the University of York Railway Studies. I dare say Dr. DT was in some way involved in this, possibly second reader. Um, so yeah, uh, have, a, have a read of this. Uh, some really interesting stuff in there. It talks about the fact that, uh, spoiler alert, what we're about to read about from 48 to 84 was somewhat of a success story. Hmm. Um, so, uh, Martha had no idea what was going on because nobody was using the the... Oh, uh, the off sand. Yeah, okay, fine. So British Railways, they inherited 129 vessels. They inherited 83 calling points in nine countries and consequently had the largest coastal shipping coastal shipping operation in Europe. So we're talking about like, because this is not just passenger freight. This is, this is freight very much as well. So an enormous amount of... Um, uh, an enormous amount of, of of kind of shipping capacity here. So that was 1948, and kind of it runs some level of of, of modification, not a huge amount. Uh, kind of it continues running. We're going to park British Rail for a moment because we have to jump to uh, to speak talk about a kind of guy because we jumped to 1962. We have to talk about Sten A Olsen in Gothenburg in Sweden. Uh, yeah, here's Sten. Here he is. And Sten, here, being a wacky, wacky Swedish guy, looking like the most wacky Swedish guy, um, don't ask too much about what he was doing in the 1940s, Sten here um, found a thing called Stenaline. Yeah, Stenaline. Take note, this is relevant. Anyway, right. Oh, another thing that's relevant is um, worth just noting in 1968 uh, that this is um, a... There is a uh, combination of companies that all merge together to form uh, Townsend Torrenson, uh, Tor sorry, Torrenson, um, relevant. This is basically a combination of like uh, Townsend car ferries, um, Otto Torrenson's shipping company and its subsidiary Torrenson uh, car ferries. Um, and kind of this remains as the brand name. Um, and uh, But this is, this is a company called European Ferries Limited. Relevant, a competitor with our wonderful British Rail Ferry Services. So we shall uh, keep an eye on them. I'm sure that they will not do anything dodgy that we have to worry about. Anyway, 
where was I? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, it's BR again. So we reach. We continue with BR. What's happening with our with our shipping? Well. They've modernized. They, they, they update quite a lot of the ships, quite a lot of the ships. They've inherited a huge number of ships, quite a few from the 1930s. Uh, you know, a range of fairly battered ships, and they start procuring new uh, shipping. But we actually need to talk about, well, firstly, who's reshaping British Railways? So we need to talk a bit about reshaping because I'm going to park the passenger stuff, the interesting stuff happening during Sealink. So I'm going to talk about, I said this is going to be brief. The, th the thing that we're going to talk about that's interesting is actually... It's the um, it's the stuff around the the, the passenger services that, that are the most interesting. So, reshaping the British Railways Part One um, d talks about uh, one of the things that key things we remember is it created Freightliner, right? So, the fifteenth of November, nineteen sixty-five, we see the first commercially opera commercial operation of the uh, Freightliner concept, the uh, system here, envisaged largely largely as a means of tran of, of of transferring goods. In kind of uh, as part of inland domestic services, actually, fairly quickly it was seen that this was going to provide a very effective way of, of, of maneuvering goods from the coast inland, and so um, containers. We have to talk about containers momentarily. The first ever container ship. We'll talk about container shipping. First ever container ship um, is. Wait a minute. Let me let me uh, just get the right uh, get my buttons up uh, here. Lovely. Uh, the first ever container ship was uh, launched in February 1931. It is by the Southern Railway. Um, this is the first container ship in the world that was built for containers. Strange enough, it doesn't look like it. it looks like a little sort of ferry thing. Um, it's called the Auto Carrier. It was owned by the Southern Railway, and it had um, 21 slots for the Southern Railway's own sort of um, uh, container stuff. Uh, yeah, the Beeching Claxon did just go off. So the, its own container stuff. So 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 Britain had the first container vessel, and, and indeed we've been doing quite a lot of different types of containerization on, on, on the railway network. Roll forwards to May 1964, and we have the first fully cellular purpose-built container ship in the form of um, Associated Steamships kind of company limited. Is that right? I think so. Um uh, in May, 60, uh, May 1964, and it is the MV Coringa. This is the first custom-built, specifically custom-built, cellular um, container ship. Everyone remembers the Ideal X, which was a converted vessel um, that uh, the famous McLean... If you want all... The, the, the relevant thing that you want to do here is... Um, if uh, Let's get big face. So the, the book you want to read is this one here. If you want to learn stuff about containerization, very relevant, uh, read the box. Uh, Mark Levinson doesn't talk enough about railway containerization, but he does say quite a lot of interesting stuff, and there's a good history of of, um, of containerization here. So well worth well worth a read if you if you are uh, so inclined. So why why is this pertinent? Why is all this stuff pertinent? Why is it relevant? Well, it's because uh, we roll forward to the mid to late '60s, and British Rail, through uh, in fact, you know, British Rail uh, kind of uh, off its own back procures. Some cellular, uh, some cellular container ships uh, here. Uh, you can see these uh, cellular container ships. There they are, kind of under construction. Um, these are. Oh, let's just press the wrong button here. These are the uh, Sea Freight. Oh golly, the Sea Freightliner One and the Sea Freightliner Two. Uh, the Sea Freightliner One and the Sea Freightliner Two. This kind of uh, pair of ships. You can see here. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure we saw these containers in our freight episode ages and ages ago. Um, you can see there's the, the BR thing. You can see the the very distinctive looking um, uh, crane to, to actually lift in these the, the containers into this thing. And this became quite a success. This rapidly became a very successful concept um, for uh, a very successful concept for British Rail. Highly profitable one, actually. Um, and... As we, you know, Ford rapidly became an initial customer, and they they were, they were using these to ship parts to and from uh, continental Europe as part of their kind of lean operations for for, for building vehicles. Um, you can see the model that proved this concept in the National Rail Museum in the warehouse. Actually, it's up on a, on a high shelf and can't be seen very well. Hopefully, I'm hoping that they'll bring it down and put it in a in a in a case and present it next to the freight stuff. But anyway, um, here they are, these two fine vessels, cellular vessels, um, purchased. And this is we're talking about the freight, but actually, BR invested quite heavily in in new vessels um, on there as as part of of Sealink. Um, and as a result of that, 
despite the changing fortunes of, of the way people traveled, it continued to be quite a successful venture. We'll get into the numbers of that momentarily, but we have to talk about brands because in November 1969, for various reasons, um, the operations are kind of as, uh, you know, for all sorts of kind of not usually interesting reason, um, the, the ferry services were split off into British Rail Shipping and International Services in November 1969. Uh, this is a bit of a mouthful, so fairly quickly... Uh, am I going to mention the reversed logo? Uh, yeah, possibly. Fairly quickly, um, Sealink appeared. Uh, so Sealink was the brand that, that popped up in, in the 1970s. And, and Sealink wasn't just British, actually, because in 1970, um, kind of as the Sealink name and, and what became kind of known as the Sealink Consortium appeared, um, it incorporated services run or kind of under the Sealink brand, but with the involvement of our friends at SNCF, uh, Société Nationale de Chemin de Fer Français, Stumfart, Mad Chapier, Zeeland, and Regie für Martien Transport, uh, or the Regie de Transport Maritime. So that's the uh, the French, the Dutch, and the Belgian um, uh, operators for of of, uh, of kind of rail operators and transport operators. Uh, that actually, so this this is this is the railway oper- SNCF, obviously railways, because you know everyone knows what SNCF is. Uh, this is actually the Belgian Maritime Transport Organization, state maritime organization, and this is the um, uh, what is that the, the steamship company of uh, of Zeeland, so like Holland, kind of the Netherlands, really. Uh, so, so yeah, like uh, maritime transport. They're basically all, all broadly all state entities, um, and all of these uh, became part, uh, started running the services as part of the Sealing Consortium, enabling operations over the channel. But the other, other operations were happening. So you know they were operating services uh, to Ireland, uh, fairly extensive services to Ireland. Uh, the services that had been running in some of the lochs in Scotland fairly rapidly diminished. Um, there wasn't much Scottish presence beyond that, but there was also services running from Hull and uh, yeah, kind of kind of the f- big focus of those op- services uh, operating were um, across the Channel and to Ireland. Big concentration of the ferry services, and so here we have Edward have a nice picture in uh, in that their continental europe that they have here with trains that don't look like ours um and next to a sealink uh ship here looking very grand as the Dieppe to new haven um service i, I suppose uh, so uh, that that's you can see the sncf logo here there is the sncf logo um the probably the one before the good sncf logo but anyway um everything's looking very european here uh, and uh, and it's quite nice it's quite a nice picture it's just a fun little caravan here. I like quite like that. Just a caravan on a train. So it's, it's a bit. It's a bit sort of Tipfield Thunderbolt, though, isn't it? Anyway, um, harmless. It's a harmless maritime tradition. Zealand is very specifically not Holland. Yes, thanks, Al. I, I caught myself as soon as I said it. I did not mean Holland. I meant the Netherlands. It's part of it. It's the, the bit of the Netherlands that is not Holland. Uh, thank you, uh, thank you, Al Storer. Yes, um, everyone here can uh, can correct me uh, on this. Uh, Sealink made several. Um, uh, several cameo appearances as did its uh, vigorous enemies in the various other ferry operators yeah ferries were by the fact they were popping up in film indicator of the common thing this picture though is interesting because it's showing us um uh it's giving us an indication of some of the challenges facing ferries as we progressed through the, through the decade um uh, so Let's in in a bit of history that we're tying in multiple companies that aren't Sealink here into this story because they they'll become relevant. We're going to go back to in 1976. We go back to Townsend Torreson uh, because Townsend Torreson um, buy the Felixstowe Dock and Railway Company. So there's a connection to railways here, although it's not BR. Um, they yeah New Haven, Connecticut. That's right, Martha. Yeah, sorry. Um, they. In doing so, because the Felixstowe Dock and Railway Company were created to basically run what became the Port of Felixstowe, you know, the, one of the UK's biggest, the UK's largest container, um, shipping container port. Uh, so we're talking about containers, the box, as it were. But this private company comes in after BR had been prioritizing. You know, Harwich, I think, had been the first of the BR developments. Um, Felixstowe, owned by... Uh, this you know the the Felixstowe Dock and Railway Company and uh, now bought by this ferry company uh, also uh, a ferry company and property company to be honest even by this point 
also uh, owned by all the land owned by Trinity College Cambridge. That's where they that so they they make a lot of money. So, oh my goodness me. Um, so P and O. We have to talk about P and O. What are P and O up to? Uh, what are P and O up to? That's a very good question. What are they doing about this? But oh, that they later buy that this that presumably it's because they P and O. Um, are sniffing around um, at this point, um, so uh, pay close attention to uh, these guys. Piano appear. Um, this is the um, piano. By the way, the uh, the what are they? The piano. Oh, can I remember the? Oh, I'm going to have to try and remember. They basically piano are about to buy. Piano is the Peninsula Oriental Steam Navigation Company. Um, they uh, swing in and buy. I'm trying to remember exactly what year it was now. I, I did, I've not given a, a, a little a dot here. So anyway, they basically uh, they come in and buy. Uh, oh, that's later. It's later. It's fine. It's later. This this shouldn't be here. That's why I was getting confused. I was like, what's, what's this doing here? Let me just scroll down to make. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I got it. Don't worry about P and O. We're gonna forget P and O for now because we're talking about the, the future of fairies. Oh my goodness! I tell you what. This this. The, the history around this ended up being fiddlier around the edges than I intended it to be. So C Link. British Rail are running. Uh, British Rail are running ferries around uh, the, the these the North Atlantic Islands, and there's a challenge. So it's not like it was new for cars to be using ferries. You can see here uh, the rather popular and of somewhat oversubscribed uh, into the sixties for uh, bridge reasons. Um, uh, fourth, uh, kind of uh, fourth ferry here. You can see the bridge in the background, looking stunning. It's a really nice picture that one. Um, and also, so this is this is this is pretty common, and and was getting more popular as people as more people moved to their car. Therefore, the connection between f train and you know between rail and ferry was being loosened. The other thing here is, and this is an example. This was a Bristol Bristol nonsense uh, with uh, British United uh, Channel crossing for cars. People were also wanting to take their cars across the channel, very specifically, um, trying to take their, their cars across the channel. Um, and this was a rather novel way of doing it, but actually there were better ways of doing it, which is boats. Uh, you know, put your car on on the boat. You can carry more in on a boat than in a plane. And BR had to rise to the challenge because there, that loosening, that, that, that kind of... I wouldn't say it was a total demise, but there was a loosening of the connections between railways and ferries. In the past, this huge amounts of branding had gone into, you know, huge amounts of commercial advertising had gone into talking about railways to ferry, you know, all those, you know, you go to Blackfriars Station and you go to the north entrance of Blackfriars and there's an extract from the old station with all of the locations, the international locations you could get to via ferry, you know, via rail, integrated rail and ferry service. Uh, by the way, a good idea, uh, and actually we should think about doing more of that sort of thing um, uh, in in places where you don't have the channel tunnel. More on that structure later. We'll get there. Anyway, as I say, here's a nice uh, extract from some telly at the time. Um, cars, cars, cars. <laughs> cars is what's happening. You can see here we're we're having more and more cars. But did BR just sort of shrug their shoulders and go, no, no, we're, we're railways? No, they did not. So they'd inherited quite an aging fleet. Uh, I think that this this here is uh, possibly one of the... This is a 1930s vessel here, I believe. It's a really old ship. Uh, again, old. Uh, less old, BR started commissioning new vessels. They uh, started commissioning... This, this is a ridiculous thing here, of course, looking fun. They started, this thing, although it looks tired, is actually quite a modern... Um, sort of modern design for fast... You know, fast... And indeed, they, they invested in new vessels... Not necessarily in terms of the speed of the explicit speed of the vessel, because there's an optimization of speed versus fuel consumed, but speed of loading is far more critical, just like on a railway. And perhaps there's some railway thinking going on here, because just like on a railway, it's not the top speed on the main line that necessarily gives you your overall journey time benefit. It's the how fast it takes you to get people, you know, how fast you arrive into port and how fast it takes you to get people on and off the, the, the train, the boat. Um, and so they were designing ships. Uh, you know, there, there are quotes talking about some of these vessels that, that talk about a success or a triumph of, of marine engineering in some of these very, very clever boats, um, uh, allowing you know, vehicles to get on and off um, as well. And this is as well at the same time as, as the expansion of the container services. So this is a nice one. This is St. George. They kind of made a point of the of the insides of these ferries. This is this is the one of the, the kind of the 
the cherry on top, the kind of the pièce de résistance, the the finest of their vessels running the the. Actually, this is this Harwich to Hook of Holland. It might be the Harwich Hook Hook of basically the 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 cross channel service that goes over to to the Netherlands. Um, and uh, and this is very snazzy. Look how look how cool all these people look traveling by ferry. Look at this guy here. He's looking cool. Uh, look, this person here is wearing, um, well, quite quite the quite the outfit. It's quite something. Anyway, everything was very seventies uh, there. They rose to the challenge. They really did rise to the challenge. Um, and this is where we have some fun. This is this is the bit where we talk about some fun here because these are some numbers. You see lots of numbers here. So nineteen forty eight. You can see there's uh, income here from uh, passengers is about five million pounds. Uh, profit. So this is the important bit because this we don't we haven't necessarily. I haven't, no, this is straight from the master's thesis, by the way. So well worth having a look. Let's have a look at the profit numbers. So 1948, about three million quid of profit, and that profit kind of wavers one, two, three, continues wavering right into the 60s. And then you see, as we see BR stopping being quite so complacent about things, the numbers start climbing, they start climbing. By the time you get to the 70s and 80s, where you've seen some of this modernization, these new vessels coming through, this response to the changes of, um, uh, uh, you know, th these, these alterations, these changes to the, uh, the way the that they, they operate, so that they're responding to the, the, the vehicle, they're providing better vehicle ferries, their numbers start climbing. They start climbing and start climbing into the early 80s, 1983, 13 million quid. It's a tidy profit coming in. The income has increased substantially. Um, so it's it's a profitable, it's seriously profitable. The, the master's thesis is indeed available online. Do grab it. Um Profit the important bit. Well, it's an indicator of the overall health of the way that the business was run. And if we if we're taking that as the measure of the day, that's kind of the key point here historically is of the measure of the day. This is a very effective part of British Rail, one of the few bits of British Rail that was you know on a, on on paper turning a profit. So, this is uh, this is this is this is this is pertinent. Why is this pertinent? Well, because we have to talk about what then happened to Sealink because. In its infinite wisdom, um, the government of the day, I don't know which government that was, 1984. Hmm. Well, actually, no, let's, 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 let's briefly talk, before we get to the 1980s, let's talk about uh, 1978, because at this point, the, the ferry business was incorporated um, as Sealink UK Limited. So here we are. Um, Sealink, 20th November 1978, incorporated as Sealink UK Limited, still, however, a wholly owned subsidiary of the BRB, um, still part of the Sealink Consortium, but a separate company now separate from br uh not i wouldn't say privatized but it's a bit more like you know the modern way that nationalized stuff exists as a separate arm's length company so that's kind of there so sealing 1978 um and there is their last and most grand uh, vessel here the saint nicholas here you can see uh, looking very grand here uh, 1978 so Jump forward to 1984, and uh, what government do we have? Well, I couldn't possibly comment, but uh, they sell Sealink UK Limited to Sea Containers. Sea Containers, remember Sea Containers? For £66 million in the day. Um, there are, so Sea Containers, which is a um, U US Virgin Islands registered company. Um, you'll know them from operating GNER. You remember GNER? Well, uh, they, run, they were run by Sea Containers. Sea Containers, funnily enough, thanks to <coughs> shenanigans, uh, now gone but so at this point we lost the br lost ceiling they, they ceased to despite it being a profitable you know bringing money into the exchequer lost gone um and we see this this kind of change from uh we, we see the change from uh from ceiling the lovely ceiling uh, railway alphabet uh here uh uh, indeed, with the, as lots of people have been talking about, the reverse British arrows, uh, British rail, uh, sorry, the reverse double arrows uh, as part of sort of a nod to maritime tradition about which side ships pass each other. It's 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 all it's all there in the book that's behind me. The corporate identity manual has lots of fun stuff about shipping in it. Anyway, sea containers pick it up and they rename uh, they well they rename Sealink to Sealink British Ferries. 
okay, fine. And they introduce this thing, the uh, the golden maggot here uh, on top. So they change, they, they get rid of the nice red funnel and they make this blue and gold thing. Uh, and they call it, uh, they do not call it the, uh, the the galloping golden maggot, but that's what it ends up being called instead of the, the, the glorious double arrows. Um, this is all the same shit, by the way, St. Nicholas. So that's 1984. Jump forward to 1987, and we're going over to, um, uh, we're going over to, uh, people are saying they like the uh, the the sea containers livery, and I prefer this. I think this is nicer and clean. Uh, this, this gets my vote. I think it's very nice and clean. Uh, interestingly, lacking the double arrows at this point, which is interesting. I think the St. Nick wasn't provided with them, which is, again, which is sad. Should have had them, shouldn't it? 1987, why do we need to talk about this? Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, P&O had been sniffing around, by the way. Um, and, uh, mm, yes. Well, let's... let's so, so, yeah, P&O is sniffing around and indeed buys uh, Townsend Torreson. Um, and uh, they, you know, they've got, uh, they had, you know, Tanzan Torreson had three sort of arguably state-of-the-art, very fast roll-on, roll-off ferries. Uh, one of them was the Herald of Free Enterprise, another one was the Spirit of Free Enterprise, and one was the other one, the Pride of Free Enterprise. I might have made that up. Spirit, Herald, Pride of Free Enterprise. Uh, names that are very interesting because they're, you know, given that they're competing with British Rail, um, which, you know, was not Free Enterprise, state-run and doing very well for itself. Uh, it's interesting that they were called that. What happened to the uh, to one of these ships, the Herald of Free Enterprise? Um, ah, yes. On the 6th of March, 1987, um, it fell over. F for a variety of reasons that you can find out by going to the Well, There's Your Problem episode about it. But it fell over. Um, man's private hubris. Uh, for a variety of reasons, um, a lot of them relate... Well, go listen to the Well, There's Your Problem podcast episode. But... Um, this was a faster ship than it's than the, the, than those it was competing with. Faster, lightened down, um, but actually it was. It ended up the journey time was about the same because of the fact that it had um, uh, its yeah there were issues in its arrival. It was a, it was a faster ship, a, a less I think it's a less maneuverable ship, so it took a little bit more time to actually navigate through. And but uh, but yeah, state of the art fell over for a variety of stupid reasons that you can find out, listen to the WTWP episode, which I strongly recommend. Um, uh, here, it, here is a large ferry on its side, and it ended up killing um, quite a lot of people. Nearly 200 people, I think. 193 people killed as a result of this um, this disaster. Um, the uh, For those who don't know, the spoiler, the ship's bow doors have been left open. The whole thing just filled with water and free surface effect. Um, it wasn't so much the Herald of Free Enterprise as the Herald of Free Surface Effect. And uh, the, the ship fell over and uh, drowned a lot of people. Not very nice. So, funnily enough, fairly rapidly, the these ships were renamed and the brand at P&O accelerated their rebranding of these ships to get rid of the TNT, uh, the sort of TT uh, livery to, to disassociate with the disaster. Um, so, yes, P&O. Uh, interestingly, at this point, P&O also has, uh, as a result of this purchase, has Felixstow. So... Uh, and still does. So, the ish. What else is happening? Well, in 1989, we lose the Dutch. The Dutch are off. That's, that's very sad. They, they go. We lose the Dutch. Um, uh, Stumfart uh, Maat Schiepje Zeeland uh, is taken over by Stenerlein. Uh That's right. Stenerlein. Uh, anyway, pay close attention to Stenerlein. They're, they're here. Um, and, talking of Stenerlein, in on the 11th of November, 1991... Sea containers sells Sealink British ferries to Stenoline. So Stenoline is starting to consolidate its position. You've got PO, Stenoline, DFDS are still doing bits and pieces across the across the, the channel, but the big players very much at this point are therefore PO and Stenoline. So we go from Sealink uh, to Sealink British ferries, Sea uh, containers to Sealink Stenoline. So they get rid of the British ferries and they put the the, the set Stenoline um, uh, text on it, but while kind of retaining that Sealink name. So we still have Sealink, very much distant, um, uh, a distant memory. The, the BR at this point is you know um, so you know from 1984 to 1992 uh, we see Stenoline rebranding those ships. On the 13th of November 1992, in fact, is where the you, you have this rebranding. Um, a job forced in 1995, and they do it again. Uh, on the 3rd of November 1995, they then rename from Sealink Stenoline to Stena Sealink. They retain the 
little squiggly maggot, partly because they don't have a choice because it's a large physical object that was attached to the ship. Um, so there's not much they could do about it. Um, they retain the golden squiggly, uh, squirmy maggot thing, um, and uh, but they're branding the the. the typeface very much moves into being the logotype of Stenner at that point. Um, meanwhile, a thing is happening. Some, some, some people are getting up to some stuff underneath all these boats. Um, uh, and indeed, on the 14th of November 1994, so a little bit before Stenner d- does all its renaming, um, uh, the 14th of November 1994, these things start appearing in Waterloo. Because the channel opens, the channel tunnel. Here is a fine, spiky-ended um, and ridiculously over-kitted with its third rail shoe, and also the joke going over a level crossing here at very low speed relative to what it's doing in Europe. But anyway, this Class 373 uh, Eurostar whizzing through Kent on its way to Waterloo, um, having come out of the channel tunnel. Um, here it is, uh, whizzing along and becomes very, very popular very, very quickly. Let's go back to Stenerline because Stenerline finally in 1996 retires the C-Link name. C-Link is gone, long live C-Link. It's, it just is Stenerline. It becomes Stenerline outright. Um, funnily enough, at the same time, um, SNCF here with their spikier, newer logo, um, terminate their pooling agreement with C-Link and begin operating the, their, their ferries under the brand C-France. Uh, there we are, Sea France. So they, they started running, running those. Interestingly enough, at this point, particularly with the Channel Tunnel, but indeed before that, and one of the reasons why why there was a lot of success, BR had cottoned on to the fact that a lot of the popularity of these ferries was the, the fact that they could sell dump tons of duty-free stuff to people. So the part of the reason these ferries retain their interest uh, and their, their traffic is because people, they're cheap, much cheaper than any of the alternatives, flying, for example. Um, and you get the duty-free experience. So you can go on, um, fill your fill your boots and suitcase and shopping trolley and boot your car um, with uh, cheap alcohol, relatively speaking, and, uh, and and have a jolly time. So they retain some level of popularity, um, but their market is being somewhat um, gobbled up. Now, P&O are once again up to shenanigans. Uh, and indeed, on the 10th of March 1998, they merge, they come to an arrangement with... Um, they come to an arrangement with... Uh, with 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 Stenaline to merge their operations of their of of what had been European ferries, you know, P&O European ferries, with what had been Sealink to form P&O Stenaline. They have merged. So we uh, glorious capitalism once again uh, tending to to monopoly. Um, so P&O continue their shenanigans at this point. Uh, why are they continuing their shenanigans? Well, because they're P&O. And so that was 10th of March 1998. We jump forward to August 2002, and P&O announces its intention to buy out the 40% stake it held in P&O Stenerline, owned by Stenner. And um, P&O Stenerline then just becomes P&O Ferries. There's this new thing, instantly divested from the main P&O, but it continues... um, I've missed out. There's lots of other bits of history that I want to talk about in separate episodes because they, they're fun to do so. Uh, by the way, C-Link, C-Speed, no. Speedlink, no. Hover Speed, no. Uh, Speedlink, basically the ferry, the, the, the hovercraft. We're going to talk about hovercraft in a separate episode in the future. So the, the, I, the, they exist. They're part of this story, but I've pulled it out. Um, what happens to container shipping kind of also is becomes its own story. So I talked about what what Seelig in, in, initialized, but how it, how that then got spun off. You know, P&O continued to operate that as a, you know, and, and the way that that was split out is, is also worth picking up. Um, the P&O ferry, well, it was a consortium. So so this is the question. So before, P&O Stenaline was a, was a consortium arrangement, but P&O ferries is, a, is just P&O. Stenaline's off the case. They're gone. Uh, the P&O bought them out. And Jump Force 2006 and uh, P&O gets bought by DP World. Hooray, Dubai Ports. Wonderful. And in turn, uh, the same year, end up getting bought out by Dubai World, which is a similar petrodollar type situation. Um, let's jump back to Sea France because we're going to talk about the various players. Um, on the 9th of January 2012, uh, C France gets uh, liquidated following... Uh, some dealings related to, partly 
by the private organisation to that, that that was currently running at that point. SNCF being wound down. It's partly to avoid a takeover by a cooperative of its own unionised workers. Um, eventually, all the assets of C France, including stuff that used to have the C Link livery on it, ends up being run by DFDS. So, DFDS kind of gains some of those services. Anyway, let's 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 park let's let's park what was C France. They're gone. They're off the table. Twenty nineteen and um, P and O Ferries gets bought by DP World again. DP World buy them back. Hmm. Yes. Um, and so we kind of end up in the present day with uh, these ferries looking like this. You know, this is a very large ferry, Pride of Hull. Or is it the end of the story? Because uh, so um, let's see. Oh, there's a Deirdre is saying booze cruise was ended long before that. So yes, the booze cruise was was a was a thing that BR capitalized on and it was wound down as we went into sort of single market situation um duty free between uk and other us eu countries ended so yes there was less that 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 disappeared and um very much was winding down the the disappeared and the channel tunnel starts so you can see the, the the desire to be traveling on the ferry had been diminished by by all of these actors thank you deirdre for for catching us on that one and being making me be more specific uh very kind um but there are the people did cross the channel to raid the supermarkets for Belle value bu- booze in France. That was also a thing, and st- people still did that. So that, that, yeah, thank you, Deirdre. Specifics necessary. Um, we will get we will get detour on by the in the future. Uh, I'll continue pestering until it happens. Anyway, uh, no, it's not the end of the story because on the seventeenth of March, twenty twenty two, you may remember, um, Piano decides to just sack all of its staff. Uh, with plans to replace them with cheap agency workers who are not unionized and have no good working conditions. Oh. Uh, Pino said it was a tough decision, but it would not be a viable business without the changes. What it means is it's no longer a viable business. The, this, the, if you can't run a business without giving your workers good conditions and pay, you can't run the business. The business ain't viable anymore. It's done. Toyoto. Uh, story's over. So, oh, let's... So, <laughs> Let's briefly dwell on this. So we get to the point where you know what was a public ferry operation um, gets owned by P and O, and therefore gets obliterated. Uh, you know, big private organisation and just obliterates the working conditions, uh, quality of the service greatly decreased. It has been greatly decreased. Um, uh, it's interesting that DP World, who the the parent company, had just you know when they did this, they just paid out like three hundred million quid's worth of dividends. Um, so they had plenty of money to actually increase staff, as as is the case across most companies at the moment in the world. Um, it's you know inflation is not being caused by public investment. It's not being caused by higher wages. It's not actually as much being caused by strains in supply chains, although that's that's a contributor. It's primarily being driven by greatly increased profit percentages. Um, so companies just driving profits at the expense of everything else. Um, that's yeah. That's so so now this is not. Okay, right. First of all, let's say, can we learn anything from all this? This is not a perfect and complete history. Um, there's, there's, it's, it's, I've, I'm painting a picture for those who perhaps didn't know. There's a lot of stuff I've I've skipped over. Um, the, the shenanigans at the end is important because there's always shenanigans. It's just the messy shenanigans of a of of, of capitalism and, and the private sector bouncing things around. Um, but all these happy people, you know, the happy pictures. People are happy, happy pictures of people on the ferry. This lovely uh, double arrow here. Um, and this uh, on on a, on a fairly modern looking vessel, actually. All oh, this is obviously a close up shot shown here. Um, d- 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 so there's what 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 have what is there that we can learn? Well, firstly, I think we have a good example. The ferry system here, and this is, this feeds into the thesis that I re- referred to earlier. Sea Link offers us a good example of how publicly run enterprise can be. You know, a publicly run company can be innovative it can be effective it can be efficient it can be popular and indeed it can be profitable and and profits in this case means allowing uh, a greater level of investment improvement in services um boat good yeah boat can be good the channel tunnel is great and we should run it more there's 50% free capacity in there run more trains get rid of the shuttle is my that's my controversial uh, subject, which might be a future episode. Is get rid of the bloody car shuttle, get people in that train, get them out of their car, so that they can t- 
take public transport on the other side of the, you know, get rid of the shuttle and swap it with more passenger trains and reduce the overall price of the, the train so that more people can take the train through the channel, the channel tunnel. That's another future episode of me thinks. Um, yes, uh, reverse double arrows on the funnel. Um, yeah, indeed. So, yeah, this is, this is, this is, I, I think this, this, we have here it because it's a, a simpler business. Um, it's easier to draw the lines of what's being spent where. It's quite easy to draw comparisons, direct comparisons between the different operators and see how effective Sealink was versus its competitors. It's also an example of some really nice international cooperation, which is nice. It's very, you know, the Sealink consortium was, was, you know, a very easy match of these these various sort of national entities. Um, I think we have, yeah, it's just... Um, yeah, I, I haven't talked really much about what was going over the Irish Channel, the services over the Irish Channel. I have focused a bit on the channel, on the, the the English Channel, but the you know the services across the Irish Channel were again you know very popular. It was, it was a, a cheaper alternative to flying uh, until recently, until you know cheap domestic flights popped up, which we kind of have the EU to thank uh, for. Boo, um, but among other things. But the yeah, the, uh, these were a success story. So uh, Bo Good, Bo Good is is what I think we've learned. Um, Go on, I'm gonna go big face and see what else are people saying. Uh, let's 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 whiz over here and go make my face large. Any, any thoughts thoughts and questions? Uh, Bob's Rail Relics is saying if you build a tunnel, it can screw uh, slower surface transport. Both Folkestone and Bologna learned from that. Yeah. Um, oh, Bologna, sorry, not uh, yeah, uh, not Bologna, Bologna. Yeah, thanks, 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 Bob's Rail Relics. Um, yeah. Lots of people who use the ferry already, which is nice. Would electrification have gone differently if C-Link was still integrated with the railway? It's hard to imagine that they wouldn't try to at least connect the major ports with electric freight. Yeah, that's a very good point. I need to, so I struggled to find a decent history of exactly what happened to the bits of the... It's almost like we'll do a follow-up episode to the, what, what happened to that containerization, or maybe do a containerization episode. I, I, I picked it out because I wanted to point out the, 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 innova the, kind of the innovation within C-Link, but actually what happened then to that element uh, of, of the business, of kind of the organization? I don't actually... I couldn't find a clear picture of what what, what happened. So I, it's talked about a bit in the thesis, but yeah, there's there's more to be to be talked about. I uh, yeah, it's still cheaper to get the ferry over to Ireland than fly, especially from this corner of Wales. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you don't have the rail fare to pay. But again, as as did as, as Detora said, um, the the rail sale um, ticket exists and is very competitive. Uh, cheap flights also ended regional Eurostar and Nightstar. Not entirely, a bit, but not entirely. Um, yeah. So. Um, uh, Howard Meow is saying the Lancashire and Yorkshire Railway had the largest fleet of railway-owned steamships that sailed from Gould to continental ports. Yeah, yeah. Uh, integrated into the uh, into the LNER. Uh, the LNER ran the, the, lots of these services. You know, the, the grouping brought lots of these railway services. There are hundreds of, 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 of it, this is integrated transport. It, it's, it's most extreme. I think what's disappointing in losing Sealink is we lost that integration. And, and given ferries are the cheap alternative to, to the, the, the Channel Tunnel, Actually, an integration of rail and ferry across the channel, particularly over to uh, the Netherlands, uh, where you know, you're further up from, or or to or to you know, Tyne you know, Imoude, or um, or like even the, some of the other uh, kind of uh, connections uh, that allow you, you know, from the north. So the, the Tyne ferry or the Hull ferry would be very nice if they were integrated into rail. Um, be very very nice. Um, the worst thing about the shuttle, less shuttle, as opposed to more trains, is it's cheaper to take a nine-hour coach ride to Paris that goes on the train than to cut out the middleman and take the train. Absolutely, it is absurd. And horrible for passengers, you're absolutely right. Foot ferry is always cheaper, uh, although Brompton folding bike is expensive the first time. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, Carnival own... No, Carnival don't own P&O. Carnival own P&O cruises. P&O divested lots of bits, so they kept the P&O brand under a holding company, but... Uh, P&O Cruises is owned by Carnival, not P&O Ferries. P&O Ferries is owned by DP World again. Um, uh, yes, uh, others are pointing this out. Budget Eurostar for across uh, for just cross channel. I mean, some actual. This is a situation where I think com competition through the Channel Tunnel. If if they're in lieu of government stepping in and and doing a better job of allowing more services, I think competition could improve uh, Eurostar service because Eurostar service is uh, shoddy. It's hopeless. Uh, it's overpriced uh, and. Chiefly, but the, one of the main problems for, for Eurostar is not Eurostar, it's actually HS1 uh, Limited, uh, particularly in St Pancras. They're unwilling to spend the money needed to expand. You know, they need to get rid of, well, uh, stay tuned actually for what they need to do. More on that in the future. Uh, future discussions on that to, to be had. So, right, it's 2101. Uh, stack up your questions uh, and thoughts and comments. Uh, I'll pick them up in a second. But 
in the meantime, uh, we're going to uh, do the usual outro stuff, which is uh, saying thank you to all the audio and the listeners. Uh, thanks for joining. Um, please go back and listen to last week's episode if you didn't already. Uh, it was a good episode with some really good discussion for uh, for apprentices, uh, particularly, but generally, if you're interested in a railway career, there's some very good advice in there. Um, yes, hopefully I've done a reasonable job of, of audio describing what, what, what we're talking about here. It's a bit dashy around because it was, uh, funny enough, quite a nebulous story to pull together, and, and I ended up telling... Yeah, to, to kind of pick out the themes that I wanted to is um, yeah, it's, it's fiddly. Uh, hopefully you've all followed. Do let me know what you think. Um, a patron that patron.com slash Gareth Dennis for the, uh, the, the the patron to support more of this sort of thing happening to keep supporting this just by the time that I spend preparing this and other things. As as, as my patron supporters often say, it's not just rail now that they support. They support for the other things as well so if you like the campaign stuff that i do um or you want me to do more do more of another thing that isn't necessarily this uh then uh patreon.com slash gathenis is where to do that you can come and shout at me to get back onto doing an engineer plays in amphitros uh paypal.me slash gathenis for loose change and abuse gareth dennis that abuse loose change and abuse paypal.me slash i'm speaking to my teeth uh, paypal.me slash gareth dennis for loose change and abuse garethdennis.co.uk slash merch for the merchandise um, some of it now painfully ironic. Uh, Gareth Ernst, could you case slash Discord for where the chat continues ad infinitum? More questions coming in and thoughts and comments. Uh, Ina has some interesting points that we're going to pick up uh, next week. I've not actually got a picture in the background yet, but uh, it's another news episode. I might also change the name, but basically it's a news episode. We've got a lot of stuff to sweep up. Uh, there's lots of things that have been happening. We're going to scoop them all up into a pile and um, and talk about them. There's some some things that are chewier than other things, some things that we quick, some things that we might talk around. Um, news episodes always very popular. Uh, so do come along and join. So let's get my big face back up again. Uh, everyone, what's going on? So, you uh, know, how big of a role could rail and ferry play in really competing with flights? Hard to ignore just how much slower they are, and flights are pretty cheap as is. Yeah, while we continue to massively subsidise the, the aviation industry, it's, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Um, ferries feel like a very easy natural thing to shove a bunch of batteries in and run as as, as battery. So so I'd be interested to see what to what extent that's true. Uh, for 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 short trips certainly, charging big old chunky batteries becomes more complex. So I, yeah, I'm interested to know what what that might look like. Um, what fully electrified uh, long distance you know channel ferries might look like. Because obviously they're very large. Uh, very interested to know what that might look like. Um, if you have some thoughts, yeah, for a point. Um, uh, what else is yeah yeah you know I was also saying only solutions seem to make flights way way more expensive really but that's kind of the solution for a lot of things they need to cost as much as they actually cost rather than all the costs that they don't have because government subsidizes them to an enormous extent uh, train worms any possibility for services uh, to not use some pancreas to make use of their stations um not without a large amount of investment in the facilities at those stations because the the, the issue is the customs facilities are just not large enough so uh Okay, I don't want to shoot my own fox, but the capacity to put passengers through St. Pancras at, at departures, the, the, the departures capacity at St. Pancras, the hourly departures capacity, has um, dropped by, what, over 50% as a result of Brexit. So it's just an enormous reduction in the amount of throughput uh, that, that you previously would have had. Um uh, let's see what else has been. What other interesting? Lots of interesting things there. So, uh, Howard Meow, I recently listened to the TRU episode where you didn't mention the actual TRU project. Uh, I believe the Apprentice episode is a pre-record, so I intend to watch it immediately after this. Um, I didn't mention the actual TRU project. I did mention it. I just um, uh, was talking about all the previous iterations of it before this current one. Uh, the the actual current one is an episode, multiple episodes of its own, because there's a lot to say. Um, so what else uh da, da, da. okay let's chat fully charged has a vid on the um helsingborg bora helsinger ferry uh which has super capacitors mm, yeah interesting okay uh, uh, yeah that's uh, that's an option master trams there's a good episode to cheer me up after the the Danard's loss um so thank you even if uh, you'd have to end up with uh, private companies wrecking something beautiful well indeed hooray marvelous yeah i, I suppose my conclusion was that pno have just trashed what was a, a you know a decent enough service? Look at my bleached out face. Marvelous. Uh, that's going to help if I do that. Yeah, that does help a little bit. You know, it's better. Still look pink as anything. Anyway, enough of me waffling. It's five minutes after the hour. Quite enough of that. Um, do keep suggesting your guests who you want to have on. By the way, there've been a few good suggestions recently. Do do keep suggesting guests because I um, I I'm very keen to um, uh, 
bring back people who've been on before, but also bring some new guests in. What's my plan doing? Do I get any more as an artist making a bid for freedom behind me and trying to, trying to look, kind of looks like it's trying to grab the golden pandrel clip, doesn't it? Yeah. I've had that thing since I, that, that, I bought that. My first ever Ikea trip on my own as a student, I bought that thing. That's why it looks so wizened and thin. It's already lost one of its three stocks. It's sacrificed to the greater good. Anyway, I digress. You don't need to know that. Um, Simon's here, though. Hello, Simon. Lovely to see you here. Um, I'm going to wave. <laughs> Everyone, it's been an absolute pleasure. I will see you all very soon indeed. Cheerio!